Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Hello and welcome back to the Arts Podcast. I'm Jan Daly and today we will be discussing the long and sometimes turbulent relationship between religion and art and asking such questions as how are atheists to respond to religious art or can art fulfil the former function of religion in a pluralist secular society? With me in the studio are Alam Shahar, physics teacher, filmmaker and author of The Young Atheist's Handbook, which is subtitled Lessons for Living a Good Life Without God. Also, the painter Tom de Freston and the art critic Richard Cork, whose most recent book is The Healing Presence of Art. Alam, I'd like to start by asking you a bit about your new book. Is it autobiographical? It is. It's actually a bit of a misleading title. It's much more a, a personal account of how I went from being born in a Bangladeshi Muslim community to now thinking of myself as an atheist. Tom, last year you undertook a commission to paint a deposition diptych for Christ College Chapel in Cambridge. Um, does that make you a religious painter? Um, I suppose it makes me a painter of religious imagery, but I certainly wouldn't see myself as a religious painter. I think what was interesting is that I was commissioned to paint these for the 500th anniversary and that I was coming to it as a kind of atheist-leaning agnostic. Richard, you've written and um, thought a good deal about this subject. and Of course, every art critic has to think a great deal about relationship with um, religion. I mean, contemporary art in sacred places is now quite... I mean, it's it's not new, it's not shocking. We have had a lot of it. Indeed, the 20th century saw a lot of it too. But do you think it's becoming more common? Uh, I think every now and again, churches and cathedrals kind of think, oh, we've got to do something with art. Um, and it's not a new thing. It happened again quite recently. St Paul's announced that they're doing something with Bill Viola, the video artist, um, but it hasn't happened yet, and it seems apparently to be a very, very long, drawn-out process because, actually, it's very difficult now for adventurous artists to do stuff in such hallowed surroundings. Um, it's so different from, of course, the Middle Ages uh, when just about everything was religious in art, wasn't it? Yes, that's absolutely true. Tom, did you have a tight brief for your for your work? One of the conditions when we kind of taking it on that was I, that I was given a fair amount of freedom, and the brief really was that they would work within the kind of architectural setting of Christ College Chapel, and that I had to respond to the theme of the deposition because there's also Anthony Caro's sculpture in the Anti Chapel of the same subject. Alarm, do you think that um, as a convert to atheism, uh, welcome by the way <laughs> to our number, um, do you think that uh, it changes? the role of art and indeed literature or indeed science because you are of course a scientist no I, th I think religion art and literature and, and indeed science are all intertwined they're all ways in which 
humans respond to the world and try to make sense of it. So I think it's very difficult and, and in fact, slightly silly to try and separate them all because they coexist and they, they feed off each other and so forth. Um, I think great art speaks to us in a way that religion speaks to us and great science speaks to us, in fact, because they all point us towards this kind of meaning and purpose that ultimately is what we're, we're striving for. Yes, and I mean, um, this book that I've just published, um, The Healing Presence of Art, it's actually history of Western art in hospitals. And um, just about half the book, uh, the Renaissance part and the Baroque part and all the rest of it, is religion. It's, it's religious art in hospital settings, quite clearly aimed at people who'd grown up looking at art in churches, um, praying in front of art, thinking about art all the time, even if they were illiterate, they were looking at images of it and understanding them. And that was absolutely central um, for so many centuries. And yet now, if you suggested to a hospital um, that they should do a religious painting or religious sculpture, um, it would be turned down flat, wouldn't it? Yes, I suppose it would. Um, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't know what you mean by religious, though. I, I think if if uh -huh. by if by religious you mean related to the kind of Judeo-Christian traditions, then I can see that you know there might be social reasons why a hospital might not commission a piece along those lines. But mm. I, 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 perhaps we ought to agree upon what we mean by religious, because I, I think. The, the religious urge is one that we all share as, as humans and even as an atheist, I probably have some religious tendencies. So I'm interested, uh, you know, in whether you think the definition of religious art extends beyond uh, literal uh, representations of the Judeo-Christian traditions. Well, I'm an agnostic now, but I was brought up in the Church of England and I went to a Methodist boarding school just to complicate things even more strangely. And so I'm very susceptible, actually, whenever I go to a, a beautiful religious building, uh, particularly when music is playing, for some reason. If music is playing, especially requiems, I can even get to the point where I think, oh, actually, I'm going to undergo another conversion or something. Yeah, I am very susceptible to it, even though I cannot understand why anybody can subscribe to a religion with the confidence that they do. I mean, I envy them. I envy them their ability to say, I believe in the afterlife, I believe in this, I believe in that. I mean, how lucky they are, really, aren't they? But you believe in the power of art, clearly. Tom, did working in that religious environment change you as an artist, as a person? I, I think it was it was an interesting challenge because I've never been I never normally kind of worked a commission and then I was suddenly having to make these works for a particular audience for a particular space so I had a whole different set of considerations from what I normally had but I think what's interesting is that I personally think it's good that we've had this divorce between art and religion in terms of whether whether art should be trying to tackle religious themes and even in my altarpiece paintings I feel that I was more interested in themes inherent in painting and kind of the human themes and I've removed most of the kind of iconography that's very specific to the Christian tradition so hopefully for the college community the majority of whom aren't necessarily believers of the Christian faith the images will still have some resonance and they'll still have those what we'll call spiritual connections that they don't have to be religious to connect with. Well I think all, we're all in different ways talking about 
how spiritual content in the world and in art and in books and science um, doesn't have to be linked to a formal religion. Um, Alain de Botton's published a book called Religion for Atheists, um, which is a phrase you almost almost used a moment ago, Alain. And one of the things, one of the quotes that struck me, he was talking about museums, actually. He said, while exposing us to objects of genuine importance, museums nevertheless seem incapable of adequately linking these to the needs of our souls. I didn't really agree with that because I think that actually, um, in some sense, our museums and galleries have almost taken the place of of um, popular popular worship. I, th- I think anyone who steps into, for example, the Natural History Museum, which is possibly as far from religion as you can get, um, can still experience a sense of awe and wonder and and appreciate the the significance of the work that went into. Creating the Natural History Museum and what it represents in terms of the scientific endeavour. So, I uh, I think the Natural History Museum does a fantastic job of conveying its significance, but it's not in your face. It's not didactic necessarily. Um, and I, I think De Botton is misguided, if I may say so, because I, I think he he's almost saying that the indoctrination that religions do is something that we should embrace that we should be telling people what to think and what to feel and i'm always wary of of that i I think it's no coincidence that in the uh, kind of mid-19th century across europe as the kind of dominance of the absolute values of religion was challenged that you also had the rise of the the public museum and i think we can look now and just down the road you have tate modern and you know we now go and do our kind of our sunday worship there and we treat it just as a kind of a grand church, but just in a different way. And we have these objects that we go and perform these kind of ritualistic functions in front of. And if you take uh, Rothko's Seagram murals, um, which I don't know if they're kind of showing at the moment, but have been one of the kind of key features, they function exactly in the same way as the best altarpieces do, in that they provide uh, the ability for a kind of a transcendental or for a spiritual experience, but just not necessarily with the doctrine or the dogma of religion attached to them. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, Rothko, uh, towards the end of his uh, all-too-short life, um, did a chapel, didn't he, in the United States? Um, A chapel full of his paintings. And I think, Jan, you mentioned earlier on, didn't you, that during the 20th century there were these very remarkable moments by artists who sometimes were religious, like Stanley Spencer, who did a chapel, very, very, very powerful one, on the First World War, Um, But other artists like Matisse, who weren't particularly religious in a conventional way, um, also did the most amazing chapel. Um, So I think it is possible, isn't it, to somehow kind of um, cover the territory without necessarily being part of it, which is a complicated thing to say. But I I feel quite close to that because uh, I don't believe and yet I understand why other people do. And um, I'm sure we all do in a way, don't we? I think atheism is a belief. It isn't an absence of belief. It's it's a belief, just as liberalism is a, a proper political position. I think belief is about how you personally see the world. I, th- I think belief is complicated and uh, I, I think I see what you're saying in that. I believe there is no God. Um, so so in that sense it is a belief but it's, it's not the same type of belief as religious belief. It doesn't come about for the same reasons I don't think. Um, and going back to what Tom was saying about dogma and doctrine it rejects those. So uh, I, I think that's an important distinction to make. 
Well, another distinction possibly is that we, I think we've all been talking about the kind of uh, transcendental power of art, which goes without saying to people who feel it. Um, and a lot, a lot of people, not absolutely everybody, but a lot of people do feel it. So art can be spiritually nourishing and it can be comforting and it can be all sorts of other things, but it can't kind of, we can't believe in art of uh, the sort of salvation um, as, as a real salvation, whereas people do believe in religion for that reason. I mean, art can only perhaps take us so far. Atheists, anyway, don't don't look for yeah. Um, well, I'm not looking for salvation. for salvation, but certainly I'm looking for meaning and purpose, and and also a guide to to morality. You know, and one thing that's I think abundantly clear now is that religions are so out of date now that they're they're not reasonable guides to our morality. Um, whereas I, I think great art can point us towards. Uh, a superior morality. I, certainly, literature can. That's interesting. Um, and I, I think mm. uh, you know, art of all sorts can can fill certain of the gaps that uh, religion loss of religion leaves behind. Um, perhaps not the 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 personal God that many Christians claim to have, for example. But certainly, in terms of giving us a sense of uh, trans, transcendence, and tra- I can't say the word trans. What's <laughs> transcendence? Thank you very much. <laughs> That's the one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> o- you know, over our, over this kind of everyday existence, and I, I think art can meet a lot of the same needs that religion meets, mm. except perhaps this somebody to talk to thing. I don't know if I believe if I believe that. I think um, art and religion are, are products of the same urge, but they function very differently, and that urge being that exists across history and across cultures, which is, you know, what we'll potentially call the kind of existential crisis or kind of ontological dispute, that unique thing of humans of questioning what it is and who we are and how we are and uh, questions of existence. Uh, In the case of religion, it takes those questions and it forms uh, doctrine and scripture and it looks to provide a moral guide and it looks to be a sociological tool. In the case of art, it it can't do that, and I think particularly contemporary art can't. You as a maker make this object with a particular set of questions going around your head. By the time it exists in the world, uh, for a viewer to engage with, it it leads to another series of questionings. So, so you can't kind of guide and lead people in the same way that religion does. So I don't actually know whether it should try to or whether that's its, its job. I think they serve different functions in that respect. I think you can say, though, that um, religious or not... Um, all art is an act of faith somehow, uh, faith in its broadest sense, faith in, I don't know, the power of the imagination, faith in the ability of an individual to have a vision which somehow not only defines the meaning of life in some new way, but also, and of course that's very, very important, isn't it, to communicate. Well, one of the things that we need to believe when we look at any art or read any book is we need to believe in the good intentions of the artist. I mean, even if you think a work of art is terrible, you need to believe that the person who made it really felt this thing and cared about this thing, which is one of the reasons why I don't like this sort of playground, infantilising art, so-called art, that's going on. I don't like bouncy castles and made in the shape of Stonehenge. Sorry. Just thought I'd slip that in. She'll probably edit that. Do you think you do? I'm, I'm going to be repeating myself, but I don't know whether you do believe, need to believe in what the artist intended or what they were trying to do. I think you need to believe in 
what does this object, this book, this painting, this work of music, you need to believe in what it's capable of doing in terms of your relationship with it. I've, you know, without trying to do myself a disservice as an artist, I almost think it's irrelevant to try and make that connection back to the maker. I think it's about what the final product does and how that engages with you. I'd agree with that. I think for me, um, uh, you know, good and bad art simply comes down on a personal level to whether it evokes uh, an emotion or a reaction from me personally. And, and I often don't think about what it is the maker intended and so forth. I'll come back to your, Tom, your description of religion as being dogmatic and about doctrine and so forth. I, I think throughout history, religion has largely been about that. But my experience is recently meeting an awful lot of religious people is that it's shifting away from that. And, and the, the modern human is struggling with what being religious actually means, because I think it's very abundantly clear that the dogma and doctrine are problematic but yet people still have religious longings, if you like. So I, I somehow seem to be very good friends with lots of religious people, including um, the, the priest of the church um, where I grew up. And um, he, he read my book and um, he, he said, I'm totally OK with your book, Alon. And I'm like, really? How how'd you manage to do that then? And he said, because there's no truth that is too big for the one true God, and I don't know, I, I, I don't know what he means by that. But what I what I think he's doing is he he he's rejecting a dogmatic interpretation of uh, Christianity, even though he's a Christian priest. And I, I think people in the modern world, I, I think, find it increasingly difficult to accept the dogma and the doc doctrine of the church or the mosque or whatever, and yet our fundamental religious instinct still needs to be satisfied. And, and that's where I think art does play a, a tremendously important role. Well, the tradition you grew up with, the Muslim tradition, is rather heading in the other direction, isn't it? And, uh, I think parts in certain of, parts of the world it certainly mm, is. And, and mm. uh, unfortunately, you know, there, there there is an Islamist movement which I think is doing great harm to the Muslim world. And, and that particular Islamist movement, um, uh, you know, for example, harms the creativity of Muslim artists. So, you know, I was taught as a child that I, I shouldn't draw humans or animals because um, only God could give life to such things and I shouldn't even dare to, to draw them. And um, I, I think that that is an example of the worst form of religion, you know, stifling human creativity by imposing rules on people arbitrary rules nonsensical rules that apparently have divine authority and i think that's a great tragedy for the for the kind of islamic world i mean this whole thing of not being able to do stuff um flies against the whole notion of being an artist nowadays yeah. it seems to me where you should have the maximum amount of freedom that's the whole point in a way isn't it tom to to be able to say exactly what you like even if you use references as you do yourself references to the past to religion to whatever comes into your mind when you're in the studio and actually making yeah i think to have any i mean from my point of view as a maker of any constraints so if there's something you know specific as the type of images you can make whereas when i'm playing around with borrowings from uh, religious imagery i've no idea even where they're going i don't even know it's not even a question of whether they're going to be positive or negative in that outlook they take these so many shifts that i can have no worries in my head about you know how they should or shouldn't be read and obviously i have that freedom because i don't need to kind of adhere to any particular faith or any set of rules historically it wasn't forbidden to portray muhammad 
You know, that's that's yeah, a exactly. that, that's a yeah. rule that uh-huh. somebody invented um, for for whatever reason to to, to you know to, to exercise their power ultimately. Um, I went recently to the new Islamic or newly refurbished Islamic galleries at the Met in New York. It's Islamic art from across, you know, I mean, well, it stretches across half the globe. And the number of um, different cultures and countries and that portrayed humans and animals and um, actually women with no covering on their heads and not many clothes on actually either, um, it was just so unlike what people imagine. Yes, we even have a, a situation where in London today, I know that, you know, uh, one of my brothers is a primary school teacher. I've got lots of other friends who are teachers um, where, where kids are being withdrawn from music lessons, you know, but on the grounds of some misguided notion of what their religion demands from them. And, and for me, you know, music is such a fundamental part of being human and, and one of the best things about being human surely our response to music you know i i don't understand have you met people who say they don't like music i I just think they're a bit peculiar um but to to say to your your child you cannot attend the music lessons in your school and and therefore i imagine you cannot listen to music at home i think that's just such a wrong thing to do and yet it's done in the name of religion I, i think it's it's very strange this as you say you get these arbitrary beliefs that develop from a religion yeah. and then are used and seen as absolute and seen as certain and um i found it interesting even in my own experience with the chapel paintings that um the two figures there's two panels and one is of a descending male figure and one is of a rising male figure who both happen to have no clothes on and um one of the problems when they were initially put up and uh, from the a couple of individuals within the chapel committee was was that nudity and they actually said to me that they found them too fleshy which for me was like an incredible compliment that's exactly what i was trying to do to get this sense of flesh and it seemed that they had ascribed some kind of problem to that nudity yet they were ignoring the fact that if you look right across the tradition of of christian art that you know christ's nudity christ's body this thing of flesh is shown in so many forms um and again, it's, it seems arbitrary, their kind of dislike of it for the, for the wrong reasons, that they felt uncomfortable, that they maybe associated nudity with somehow having a kind of a sexual significance when it was nothing to do with that. Yeah, maybe it's all to do with the fact that religion in that case um, makes people feel safe, doesn't it? Um, so that they can, as it were, ignore the sexuality or the nudity or whatever it is. I, I remember Bill Viola did a piece in Durham Cathedral some while back which created an enormous fuss because people couldn't cope with this image of the naked man hanging in the nave of the cathedral. But, I mean, the thing is, as you say, religious art is just absolutely riddled with such images. And to my mind, you can go and look at religious art and not think about religion. Um, I mean, I mean, one of the paintings that has meant most to me ever since I saw it as a teenager is it's called La Madonna del Parto, and it's by Piero della Francesca. It used to be, alas, no longer. It used to be in a chapel in Umbria. And you'd go there and you'd walk through a vineyard. You would knock on a door and get a key to the chapel from the woman who lived in the house. You would enter the chapel, and there was this single painting of the pregnant Madonna, the Madonna del Parto, but quite honestly, it didn't matter if she was a Madonna or not. The whole point of that painting, 
and by the time I saw it, I was not religious. Um, the whole point of the painting was the woman about to give birth. Well, on that very nice note, I'm afraid we will have to stop because we're out of time. Thank you to Alom Shaha, Tom DeFreston and Richard Cork, and thank you all for listening. Alom's book, The Young Atheist Handbook, is out now. An exhibition of new work by Tom DeFreston is at Breathes Little in London until the 15th of September. And for those who are interested in following up the subject, there is an exhibition at the Methodist Central Hall until September the 9th called The Sacred and the Modern. Thank you for listening. The Arts Podcast was produced by Griselda Murray-Brown. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.